Let's go to the Lord in prayer. We will get started. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you, Lord, for this time that we have together. I pray that you would bless it, God, that you'd use it to speak to our hearts today. I pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. It seems quiet up here. Can you hear me okay? Can you hear me all right? Okay. This morning, in just a couple of moments, we are going to make our way to a portion of Scripture that I think is fairly familiar to most of us. It is one that I would have been able to quote uh, today, yesterday, a month ago, years ago. But until this week, whenever I studied it and actually looked at the context of it, did I really begin to understand it in the way that it's supposed to be understood. And so, as I have said before, I'm going to say again, it is amazing how context can mess up a good thought. You know, when you really begin to consider something in its context, when you really begin, and I'm laughing because Brother Chad and I have had this conversation recently, but uh, uh, when you really consider something in light of the context and you see how it was really meant to be uh, applied and explained, you think, wow, I've really messed up recently on that one, and uh, or maybe all my life. And so this morning... Uh, this morning we're going to be in Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12 is where we're going to be. And as you're finding your place there, I want to share a story with you. The story is somewhat factual and at the same time it is somewhat hypothetical and I think you'll be able to distinguish between the two as the story unfolds. But several years ago, we were on our men's fishing trip here at the church, and some bad weather had moved in. And as a result of the bad weather that had moved in, tornadoes had been spotted, tornadoes had been seen, and tornadoes had touched down in different parts of Oklahoma. And part of the area in which the tornadoes had been spotted, where they had actually touched down, was in the neighborhood in which my brother and his family lived. And while my brother's house and his family's house was not destroyed by the tornado that night, it was certainly damaged and it was certainly affected. And so as a result of getting that phone call from my parents that my brother's house had been hit somewhat by the tornado, I felt the need and I felt the desire to go over and help him out the next morning with the cleanup and doing whatever it was I could do by way of contributing to, to helping them get past that. And so that night I left, it was still raining, it was obviously dark because of the hour in which I was traveling, and the route that I was taking from the lake to my brother's house were roads that I had never traveled before, they were completely new to me, and so as I was driving on unfamiliar roads in the dark and in the rain, all of a sudden I looked up in my rearview mirror and I saw flashing lights. So I knew what that meant. I needed to pull over and let the situation unfold. So as I pulled over and the police officer came to my window, the question was asked, where are you going in such a hurry? So I tried to explain the situation to the officer. I tried to explain what I was doing, what I was hoping to accomplish. And the reason that he had pulled me over was because I was going 15 miles an hour over the speed limit because I had entered into a small town in eastern or western Oklahoma, and I had not seen the drop in the speed limit. So as I explained the situation, as I tried to give him as many of details as I thought were necessary, he was kind and he was gracious, and he said this, listen, I understand, just slow down and be careful. 
So I was in that moment a recipient of some grace based on my ignorance. There was a measure of leniency showed to me because of my ignorance. Now that's the factual part. Now here comes the hypothetical part. Most of you know that I live on Duncan Street. That too is factual, but this is the hypothetical part, I should say. Over the years, I have driven Duncan Street thousands and thousands of times, headed from our house to the church, from the church to the house, and really any place else that I would want to go. I've driven it in the daylight, I've driven it in the dark, I've driven it in all sorts of weather. And so as a result of having been on this road many, many, many times over the years, I am fully acquainted with what the speed limit is. I know that it's 35 miles an hour from my house all the way down to the post office. I understand where the school zones are. I I, I understand the whole layout of that street. So imagine for just a moment if I was going 50 miles an hour on Duncan Street. If I got pulled over, do you think the same measure of grace would be shown to me as I tried to declare my ignorance? Well, of course not. Well, why would I not receive the same measure of leniency? Because the same measure of ignorance was not present. It makes sense that I might be the recipient of some leniency and some kindness and some grace where there was true legitimate ignorance. But where there was not true legitimate ignorance, I would not be deserving of leniency and kindness and extra grace. You and I understand that principle. It makes sense for it to be applied here, but really there's no reason for it to be applied in the second scenario. Now, as we think about that, look in verse number 1 of Luke chapter 12. We're not going to go through this entire chapter thoroughly. I just want to touch on a couple of things to try to set the stage as to where this is headed in the next couple of moments. But in verse number 1, here's what we read. It says, In the meantime, when there were gathered together an innumerable multitude of people, insomuch that they trod one upon another, he began to say, or he began to speak unto his disciples, first of all, beware ye of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. So here we've got Christ. He is out somewhere in the public. He is with his disciples. But it says in verse number one that there was a crowd that could not be numbered, and the crowd was so massive that they began to trode or they began to step on one another. And in the midst of all this, Christ began speaking to his disciples, and he began warning them of the leaven or the sin of the Pharisees, and that sin that Christ was identifying of the Pharisees by way of the leaven was none other than their hypocrisy. And so what Christ was warning them against was the hypocrisy, the saying one thing but doing another thing, professing one thing but living in another fashion. And so here's what he said. He said, you want to be careful about this. You want to guard against this. In verse number 2, he said this, 
For there is nothing covered that shall not be revealed, neither hid that shall not be known. And so what Christ said to the disciples was simply this. Listen, you want to be careful about hypocrisy in your life because there is nothing hid and there is nothing concealed. Everything that you do, disciples, you've got to know that it is known unto God. There are no secrets, there are no actions in your life that are not made known unto God. God sees and God is aware of everything that you do, everything that you engage in. And so as you continue reading through the verses, he begins to explain in verse number 7 how much they as disciples and as people, they are cared for and loved by God. He said, even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, ye are of more value than many sparrows. As you come down to verse number 13, a familiar portion of Scripture to many of us, you have someone who comes to Christ and says, Master, speak to my brother that he divide the inheritance with me. And so there is a story given there about this rich man who decided he would tear down his barns and build bigger ones, and yet he died that same night not realizing that his soul would be required of him. And as the, as the text continues... You make your way to verse number 35, and here is what Christ said again to the disciples. He said, let your loins be girded about and your lights burning. So let your loins be girded about and your lights burning. Now here is what Christ is about to do. He is about to begin speaking to the disciples in a parable. Though the masses are available or though the masses are present, though the multitude is there, Christ is going to speak to his disciples by way of a parable. And so he says in verse number 36, And ye yourselves like unto men that wait for their Lord or their master when he will return from the wedding, that when he cometh and knocketh, they may open unto him immediately. And so he is talking to his disciples, and he is bringing up this Lord or this master, this one who would be a homeowner, and he is speaking of that master who would go away for a wedding, and he is saying what you need to be is you need to be prepared for the return of the Lord, of the master, so that whenever he knocks, you may open unto him immediately. Here is what Christ was saying is, you need to be ready like these people for the master's return. This is something that is imperative. This is something that is important. And he says in verse number 37, Blessed are those servants whom the Lord when he cometh shall find watching or shall find waiting and ready. He said, Verily I say unto you that he shall gird himself and make them to sit down to meet and will come forth and serve them. Now the next few verses unfold, of course. And in verse number 41, Peter asked this question. Peter said unto him, Lord... Speakest thou this parable unto us or even to all? Peter wants to know, who exactly is this related to? Who is this directed to? Christ, who is it that you're trying to communicate with? So in verse number 42, he said, The Lord said, Who then is that faithful and wise steward whom his Lord shall make ruler over his household to give them their portion of meat in due season? So Christ gives an answer, somewhat still uh, a bit confusing as to who the exact audience is. But in verse number 43, he said this, Blessed is that servant when his Lord, uh, whom his Lord, when he cometh, shall find so doing. 
So what Christ said to Peter in response to this is this servant will be blessed if he is the servant whom when the Lord or the master returneth, find him so doing, will find him so doing what? Find him so doing what he has been entrusted to do. While I am gone, while I am not present, here is what I want you to do. Here is what I want you to engage in. Here is what I want you to be involved in. And Christ said that the servant who is found doing what he has been commanded to do, when the Lord or the Master returneth, he is going to be the blessed servant. He is going to be the happy servant. He goes on to say in verse number 44, Of a truth I say unto you, that he will make him ruler over all that he hath. But and if that servant say in his heart, My Lord delayeth his coming, and shall begin to beat the men's servants and maidens, and to eat and drink and to be drunken, the Lord of that servant will come in a day when he, the servant, looketh not for him, and at an hour when he is not aware and will cut him sunder, and will appoint him his portion with the unbelievers. And that servant which knew his Lord's will, and prepared not himself, neither did he according to his will, shall be beaten with many stripes. So what is being said in these verses? What is Christ communicating in these verses? Well, no doubt there is a lot here being discussed, and there is a lot that could be said but at least a portion of what Christ is communicating in this portion of Scripture by way of the parable is simply this, that if a servant is found to be doing what the servant is supposed to be doing when the master returns, then that servant is going to be blessed, he is going to be happy, and he will be entrusted with more. And yet if the servant decides, you know what, I don't know when my master's coming back, Obviously, he's tarrying, and he begins doing whatever he wants to do, living however he wants to live, operating however he chooses to operate. Then what Christ said was this in verse number 47, that as a result of not doing the Lord's will or the Master's will, and prepared not himself, this is what will take place. He shall be beaten with many stripes. In addition to what was said in verse number 46, verse number 47, Christ said, He shall be beaten with many stripes. Well, what is that? That is discipline. That is the result of disobedience. Does this make sense? Christ is saying that if this servant does not do what he knows he's supposed to be doing, if this servant does not act upon what he has been told to do while the master was gone, then of all the punishment that he will receive, he will receive many stripes. The discipline will come as a result of the disobedience to what he knew the master's will to be. Verse number 48, though, he goes on to say this. But he that knew not and did commit things worthy of stripes shall be beaten, but notice what it says next, with few stripes. He that knew not and did commit things worthy of stripes, 
He will still be beaten, Christ says. There will still be a consequence. There will still be discipline. But he said that it will be with few stripes rather than with many stripes. Both servants were obviously guilty of some disobedience, right? In this particular parable, both servants were obviously disobedient to some extent, but one was disobedient with far more knowledge available to them and far more understanding available to them than the other. And so while both were disciplined, one received some leniency based on what? Their ignorance. They did things that were worthy of stripes and they would receive the punishment but they would, re- they would receive few stripes in comparison to the one who would receive many stripes. And the difference came from what knowledge and what information they had afforded to them. So kind of like the story I opened with and mentioned a moment ago, it's kind of like me driving down the back road I was the recipient of some leniency and some kindness and some grace because of my ignorance, something that I would not be deservant of when I am fully aware of the law of the land. So as all that is said, as all that is taken into consideration, notice what Christ said next. For unto whomsoever much is given... Of him shall be much required. And to whom men have committed much, of whom men have been given many things, of him they will ask the more. Now here is where I have been out of context and out of line all my life. I've been familiar with this portion of Scripture where it simply says, Unto whomsoever much is given, of him shall be much required. And here's what I have thought, and here's what I have heard most of my life. That if you've been given much, then a whole lot is going to be expected of you, and it's had to do primarily with things like wealth or talents or abilities, things of that nature, that if God has blessed you financially, then you are expected to be a blessing to someone else financially. If you've been blessed with some kind of a talent, some kind of an ability, then you are responsible to do something with that talent and that ability. And those things are true. It's just not true from this particular text. I don't know if this is going to mess up anybody's theology, but I want us to see this. Those things are true, but it's not true of this text. You say, well, then then what is the meaning of this text? What is the meaning that Christ is trying to communicate? Okay, all of this has to do with an awareness of what is expected and what is required and what the servant did with what they knew was expected and what was required of them based on a person's knowledge and understanding and the information available to them, Christ is saying, this is what you will be judged by and this is what you will be disciplined according to. 
This has nothing to do with what we do with our financial resources. This has nothing to do with how we use the talents and the abilities that God has given us. This has everything to do with what we as children of God who are His servants, this has everything to do with what we do with the knowledge and the information that we have afforded to us in our service and in our serving of the Lord. Somebody may say, I'm still not following this. I'm still not understanding this. All right, this morning for just a couple of moments, I want us to think about something. We ought to know this, but I know that we lose sight of this. I want us to think about a part of our world that is completely different than ours. I want us to think about a part of the world that today it is, it is truly, it is genuinely a crime to identify yourself as a Christian. Such places like that exist. I want us to think about that part of the world where we, we could honestly say this and it not be exaggeration, it not be fantasy or make-believe. I want us to think about a part of the country where it is a crime to find yourself in a church service. I want us to think for just a moment about a part of the world where not only is it a crime to be in a church service, it is a crime to own a Bible. Those places exist. It's a crime to call yourself a Christian. It is a crime to assemble in a church service. It is a crime to own a portion of the Scripture. And yet, even in these lands, even in these countries, what is present? It seems to be the testimony of many that even in these areas of the world where it's a crime to be a Christian, you still have people who are believers who have somehow come into contact with the gospel and they have placed their faith in Jesus Christ. Now, I don't know how all that happens. I don't know how all that works. I've heard interesting stories like I'm sure many of you have. But I want us to think about this, that as a result of their salvation, they have a responsibility to live a Christian life. I don't care what part of the world they find themselves in. I don't care what kind of a culture they are a part of. As a result of their salvation, as a result of the work of God being done in their lives, they have a responsibility to be a Christian in their land and in their homes and in their families. They have that responsibility. However, their opportunity for knowledge and understanding is far more limited than the opportunity and the understanding that is afforded to you and I. We better not miss this. Whoever lives in a foreign land where it's a crime to be a Christian, to assemble, to have the Word of God, 
They've still got a responsibility to live a Christian life, and they will still stand before God one day, and they will give an account for the life that they have lived. And where disobedience has been present, guess what they will have? And guess what they will experience? They will, to an extent, experience some discipline or, or some measure of, of rebuke. And I want to be careful how I say that. But there is going to be some measure of consequence for the disobedience, but they will also, Christ seems to indicate, will also be the recipient of some leniency because the knowledge they had afforded to them was less than what somebody else had afforded to them. Now again, this may mess up some of our theology but it's hard to argue with what Christ is saying. This one who has been disobedient with all the knowledge, they will be beaten with many stripes. The one who has been disobedient but knew not, they will also receive stripes, but it will be fewer rather than the others based on their information. Now, why is that important? It's important for this reason, or it ought to be important for this reason to you and I, because we don't live in one of those countries. Anybody in America can claim to be anything they want, and Christian is among the list of things that a person can claim for their lives. You and I have the freedom. Let's get this. You and I have the freedom to claim Christianity with no fear whatsoever of any kind of rebuke. We need to be reminded of this, that you and I got up this morning and we went through our normal routine of getting ready for church, and most of us probably did so not thinking for a second that this needed to be done undercover, that this needed to be done discreetly, that this needed to be done carefully, and that we hoped no one was aware of what it was we were doing. No, we got up this morning, we got dressed, we got ready, we got in the car, and we came to church, and we have no worries whatsoever being assembled here today. And you know this as well as I do, but you and I are free to own as many copies of the Scripture as we desire to own. Do we realize this? We have the freedom to identify ourselves as a child of God. We have the freedom to assemble. We have the freedom to own the Word of God. And we have so many more things available to us that many in this world will never lay their hands on or put their eyes on. You and I, we have the freedom to buy any Bible study resource we want to buy. We have the freedom to listen to as many preachers throughout the week as we want to listen to. We have the freedom to seek counsel from whomever we want to seek counsel from. I want us to see this, that you and I have been given a massive amount of information. You and I have been given an incredible amount of opportunity. And so what does that mean? It means this, that because we have been given much... You know what's going to be required and expected of us? Far more than what is expected from someone in another country who can't even claim to be a Christian without fear of it costing them their lives. I know that we were not the, the thought in this 
message or in this parable when it was given. We were not the point of discussion when all this was being talked about. But I want you and I to be reminded of something, that we are without excuse when it comes to our obedience to the Word of God. You and I cannot say, well, I just, I didn't know. No, we're going to stand before God one day, and He's going to say, that's nonsense. Of course you knew. Well, I just, I I didn't know what I was supposed to be doing. I I didn't know how I was supposed to be living. I, I didn't know what you expected of me. I didn't know what you required of me. Listen, that's nonsense. We have been given much by way of information. We have been given much by way of the opportunity to know what the Master is expecting of us. And so you and I will never be able to stand before the Lord and say, Well, God, I just didn't know. No. You had a church. You had the Scripture. You had so many helps and resources around you. Ignorance is not anything you can claim. I want us to hear this morning. I want us to hear this this morning. I need to hear it this morning. You and I are far more accountable than so many other people in this world because we have been exposed to so much more information by way of the Word of God and the will of God than most people will ever get to hear. People say things like this. Well, I just wasn't raised in a Christian home. It doesn't matter. I'm trying not to get irritated right now, and I'm, I'm working hard. I'm, I'm, I'm earning my keep right now. I wasn't raised in a Christian home. Who cares? We were raised with churches all around us. Well, you know, Brother Kyle, I just, yeah, you know, I just, I just don't understand so much of the Bible. That's a cop out. It is a cop out. We have been given so much. Our, co- our country has been given so much. There is no one who is living in America who will stand before God with an excuse that is valid because every one of us have the same resources available to us. The community that you and I are a part of, they're as accountable as you and I are. Well, how could they be as accountable as you and I are? Maybe they've never heard. Part of it would be if they've never heard is because they haven't wanted to hear because it's certainly been made available to them. I mean, anybody in our community, all they've got to do is step outside and walk a little bit and they can be at a church where they could hear about the gospel of Jesus Christ. If they don't know, it's because they don't want to know. There are times, I am convinced, and you may not agree with this, that's fine, you don't have to, but there are times, I am convinced, 
that people assume that if we play dumb and if we act ignorant, that somehow that'll fly when we stand before God. And it won't. There will not be any laughing. There will not be any cutting up. There will not be any giggling. There will not be any elbowing people as we're standing before the Lord saying, Hey, it's not going to be that bad. Hey, I, I was just being silly and I was just ignorant of it. And, and I didn't really know what was going on. No, you and I are without excuse. You and I, our children, our grandchildren, the people that we come into contact with, we are without excuse. If we're not living right, it is simply because we don't want to live right. It's not because the information has not been afforded to us. We're just not responding according to what we know. And so this morning, I'm just going to ask a, a simple question. It's what I try to do each week, just try to, to present a simple question. Something that hopefully will be honest enough to answer today. And respond in the right way if we need to. But with everything that we've been given, with everything that's been afforded to you and I, can we honestly say that we are living in obedience in the way that we ought? Can we honestly say that with all the information that God has provided for us, can we honestly say that we are taking it to heart and we are applying it in the way that we ought, being the men and women of God we've been called to be? Friends, if we're not, I want to remind you, we're accountable for every bit of it, no matter how we may try to shrug it off. I want the young people in our church to realize you're responsible and you are accountable for the word of God that you have been exposed to. There is no excuse that we can offer when we stand before the God that will give us leniency because we have been given all the information we need. So with everything that's been afforded to us, with everything that's been provided, with everything that's been made available, can we honestly suggest that we are trying to walk in obedience? Or are we still looking to somehow claim ignorance and hoping that that will get us some kind of an escape? It will not. It will not now. It will not ever. We have been given much, so therefore much is expected and required of us. Let's all stand this morning and bow our heads for prayer. Father, thank you for the day. Thank you, Lord, for this time to be in your house. God, I pray that you'd pray that you'd wake some of us up this morning. Lord, we have been given so much. We have been given so many resources, there is absolutely no excuse for disobedience on our part. I know that we are sinful creatures. I know that we are sinful beings and we are going to struggle with our flesh. But Lord, I think so many times we're not even struggling. We're just giving in. We're just letting it happen. And then we're just excusing it like somehow that'll pass with you. God, there are some people, no doubt, hearing this today, 
And, Lord, it's a struggle for each of us. I understand that. But, Lord, there are some today who just need to get serious because they're playing games. And I pray that you'd help us to do so. I pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen.